Hear the word of God from Hebrews 12, 1 through 13. You can follow along in your own Bibles or on the screen. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. This is the word of the Lord. So I love the fact that today is Mother's Day, and this sermon is the sermon that I'm preaching on Mother's Day. The key theme of my message this morning works so perfectly with the, it being Mother's Day. It's the idea of persevering in the midst of difficulties. Not just persevering, but considering the difficulties that you embrace, the difficulties that you experience in this life, consider them as discipline from a loving parent that is done for your good and to help you accomplish the goal. This reminds me so much of my own mother. See, my mother was the main disciplinarian in my house. She pushed and challenged a young Lawrence, which was a very difficult job. And when I need a correction, she wouldn't hesitate to discipline me. And let me tell you that Korean discipline back then was very different from discipline nowadays. Not quite as tame as most of you guys are probably, well, the, the younger ones have experienced. It was, I often say this to my mom now, that I said, Mom, if you would have disciplined me the way you do, if you did that now the way you did it back then, you'd probably get arrested. <laughs> just saying, I'm just being honest with you. But the thing is, every time my mother would have to discipline me, the biggest thing that I remember, the thing that most kind of sticks out to me is this. She would always cry. 
Every time my mom would spank me, every time my mom would have to discipline me, she would always cry. She, she hated doing it. I knew it caused her pain, causing her son pain, but she would still do it because she loved me and knew that it was what I needed. I learned that I got to the point where I started hating making my mom cry more than I hated actually the pain of getting disciplined. Well, at least most of the time I did. I'm so thankful for my mother, and I'm so thankful for all the mothers and all those who have helped mother. And we appreciate you here at Waypoint Church. Jesus said this earlier, we believe it takes a village to raise the wonderful children God has blessed us with here. We believe that this endeavor of raising and pointing our children in the knowledge of the Lord is something that not just the parents' responsibility, but it's our whole church's responsibility, and we take that very seriously. So we thank you to all of you who invest in our children's ministry, who pour into them through working in childcare, to, to doing all the things that serve to being an example and to mothering them well. So I want to just thank you guys really quickly just for being such a loving place of raising children. And I thank you for the impact you've had in my son's life. And just want to thank all of you for that. We're continuing in our series in the book of Hebrews, and it kind of saddens my heart a little bit to say we're almost finished with this book. We've been in the book of Hebrews since January, and I've loved diving into this book with you, so it really does. We're at chapter 12, there's only 13 chapters, and I'm also honestly a little sad. I'm like, oh, we're almost done. And we just finished up looking at some of the heroes of old and saw how they were able to live by faith. Faith being both believing and trusting in the person of Jesus and his promises. These heroes of the faith ran the race ahead of us, and the author of Hebrews used these stories to lead us to this kind of main point, this kind of culmination that he's trying to reach us to that's found in chapter 12. That was just read to us this morning. The author is saying, look at these great heroes of faith. Look what they accomplished by, by believing and trusting in the person and the, the promises of Jesus. The author is then saying, look at them, and now telling us, let us run. Run and finish the race that we started. Look at the hardships you are facing as a means of making you better at running this race. Do not grow weary. Run. How in the world do you do this? I mean, here's the audience, and here's what I'm, I'm thinking they're thinking. Okay, this is the audience we've already discovered as we read, as we studied the book of Hebrews. We knew that this audience were people who were, became Christians, uh, uh, Jews who became Christians, and they're now being persecuted by the Jews in the area. They're, they're talking to the government officials and saying, uh, getting in a situation where they're getting their goods confiscated. They're getting bad contracts. They're getting persecuted. They're being made fun of. They're being told that what they're believing is wrong and what they're doing is wrong. And they're being oppressed and persecuted. And in the midst of this, they're saying, keep on running, guys. Don't get tired. And maybe they're tired of being made fun of. Maybe they're tired of being mistreated. Maybe they're just tired. And maybe some of you are thinking the same way. Maybe you're tired of being sick. Tired of being stressed out. Tired of seeing the wicked prosper and your family struggle. How do you keep running this race? How do you keep running a life of godliness? How do you keep living the Christian life of mission and joy? This is what the author of Hebrews says. He gives us three ways. I want you to get this. The three ways for us to endure. The three ways for us to run this race. The three ways in which that we can see suffering as joy. It says this. Number one. By seeing the cloud of witnesses, two, by throwing off sin, and three, by looking to Jesus. 
So one, by seeing the cloud of witnesses. It says here that we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. This is talking about the faith, these heroes of faith lived out that we just saw in Hebrews chapter 11. These are the, the heroes that these people grew up with. Moses, Abraham, these are the ones like, those guys, they're the heroes of faith. There are bigger than life figures. There are George Washington's or Abraham Lincoln's. These are our Superman or our Batman's. You know, I did both for, for the kind of nerdy people and the history people. I don't know what you got, who your heroes are. I'm just saying in case you're George Washington's your hero or Batman's your hero, either way, you're covered. And what it is, is these are the people that they said, look at those incredible people who lived lives of faith and look what they accomplished. They ran the race, they finished the race. And so this author said, look guys, you're surrounded by them. They did it, you can do it too. Look to the ones you've done before. It's like when you're, it's, I went whitewater rafting. The first time I ever went whitewater rafting, I was very excited, I was so pumped, I love whitewater rafting. But my friend of mine was a little scared. You know, my friend's like, not much of a swimmer. Thought this is like, there's rocks. Why would we go somewhere where there's rocks that could, like, you could hit your head against? That doesn't seem safe. Doesn't seem smart. He's like, you have to wear a helmet? Why would I do anything willingly that you have to wear a helmet to do? But what, what was helpful for him was when at the end of the rafting trip, he knew like, okay, all these people have done it and survived. Okay, I can do this. That's what this author is saying. These people have done it. They've ran the race. They finished it. You can do it too. It's like my illustration I said earlier about the four minute mile. It seems so hard, it seems so unbreakable. It, it seems that the four minute mile was an impossible number. People said that it was impossible for the human body to run faster than a four minute mile. But as soon as after one person ran it, it opened the floodgates and so many people ran faster than four minutes after that. We're surrounded by these people who've lived a life of faith, who said they're finished, not because they were perfect, but by faith they finished the race. You can too. But I also love this idea about this. We're surrounded by the show. They were the ones who did it, went ahead, and we can see that they went ahead and they accomplished it. We can do it too. But I also love this idea that we're surrounded by them. They're cheering us on. You know, I don't know about you, but in my mind, I'm, I'm, I'm picturing Moses with the staff, the guy who did the water thing, you know? And I'm picturing him here and be like, go, Lawrence. I'm like, all right, Moses, I got you. I mean, it's this idea, I don't know if you guys, has anybody ever done CrossFit before? I've tried doing CrossFit, it's insane, don't do it. No, but <laughs> I tried doing CrossFit, and one of the fun things about CrossFit, one of the exciting things about doing this whole CrossFit workout is that when you're doing it, if you're like the one lagging behind, which was always me, the people who finished ahead of you, they'd always either cheer you on, they're like, yeah, man, you can do it, you can do it, or they'd actually come back and do the workout with you again. You know, it was so cool. It was like you felt like you were in a community of people like, yeah, you can do it. So as you're doing it, you're like, I can't do any more push-ups. I just can't do it. They're like, you can do it. They cheer you on and they come and do it with you. And it was just really cool. It make you do more than you ever thought possible, right? Guys, I want you guys to understand that we have a cloud of witnesses cheering us on. Do you get that? I mean, we're talking about Moses and Abraham and the saints of old. They're cheering you on. They ran the race, and they're literally watching you saying, go, go, don't stop, don't do it. You have a great mission ahead of you. Don't stop. They're cheering you on. They're encouraging you because they know that the mission is so more important than just even them. They want to see it accomplished. And even this idea of being surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, I want you to understand this, that this community of witnesses isn't just the saints who are dead. It's also the saints who are doing it with us now, but living in community. 
Hear that. Being surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses doesn't mean just the saints who passed and went ahead of them. Doesn't mean just the ones that we can see that they finished the race. Doesn't mean just the ones who who are passed away cheering us on. It also means the ones that we choose to live in community with now. Guys, I want you to hear this very well, that Christianity doesn't really know anything about a solitary religion. Christianity was always meant to live in community. Do you hear that? I know it's a very Western cultural idea, is this idea of my, my personal relationship with Jesus. And yes, you need to understand what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus. But you need to also understand that the whole essence, the whole essence of your faith in Christ is meant to be lived in community. Surrounded by a cloud of witnesses. Surrounded by people who are running the race together. Because let me tell you something. When you're running a race and you're running with somebody else, somebody kind of sets the pace, right? I'm using a lot of running illustrations. I don't run. (laughs) I don't. I'm just saying. I've heard. (laughs) So, for me... I've heard when you run, <laughs> there's someone who sets the pace. So I want to be authentic here, here, I'll just let you know. That when you run, if somebody's setting the pace, it's easier to stay with them pace, right? Or to take turns setting the pace, right? In my, <laughs> this is how little I know about running. In my mind, I'm thinking about like drafting too. Like, does that exist in running? Like, like in racing, where you kind of like stay right behind somebody? No, nah, that's what I'm picturing as well. But it's this idea, guys, I want you to understand this, that this idea of running this race, you're not doing it alone. People are cheering you on, people who've done it before. You can look ahead, but there's also, guys, to the left and to the right, when you get tired, there's somebody to say, come on, let's keep going. When it gets hard, when the terrain is rough, there's somebody who says, I set the pace, come follow me. You can do it. Guys, we're not supposed to live this life, this Christian faith, by ourselves. Now, I mean, I understand. I understand why it's tempting to want to make it just you and God, you and personal. I understand why it is because when you're living in community, when you try to live with other people, you become vulnerable. And that's scary. When you throw yourself out there and you're known and your weakness is seen, that's tough and that's scary. And I get that, but can I tell you, I love this. I read this in a book the other day. Vulnerability is nothing more than calculated risk. Vulnerability is calculated risk. And literally what the idea is that you're taking the risk and choosing to be vulnerable because the reward is worth the risk. And let me tell you that to run this race well, you need to be surrounded by witnesses. You need to be living in community. And that, can I tell you, it's scary, but it's worth it. It's scary, but it's worth it. Hebrews 10.24 says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more, as you see the day drawing near. We're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. We see the incredible heroes of the faith who've gone before, who finished the race. They're also cheering us on. They're saying, run, go. But we're also living surrounded by the cloud of witnesses, the saints that we are, are get to be a part of in community, living together. And this is all how we persevere. God has given us these incredible gifts so that we can persevere in our running. Two, we can endure by throwing off the sin that easily entangles on, 
entangles us. And what is that sin that easily entangles us? I want you to get this. Remember back, I said that the audience, the original audience of this letter were people who were being kind of tempted to go back to the ways of Judaism or the, the go back to reverting to the law. It's this idea then of why. What was it about the law that made them want to go back to, go back to it? What was it that was tempting them? One, it was oppression and, and suffering, but it was also this idea. I want you to hear this. Is that the sin of pride is what wanted them to go back to the law. It's this idea of earning salvation. It's this idea of working hard to be good enough. See, guys, I want you to understand this. This is what's so tempting about being a moralist. This is what's so tempting about legalism. I want you to get this. Is that there's a set of rules and regulations. And even if you think, if I can just abide by them, if I myself can just be good enough, then I earn and I deserve. And can I tell you, that, that, that's the sin of pride in our lives. Because if I said, like, and I'll just be honest with you, this is something that I would love at times, right? This is something that's tempting to me at times, is this idea that if you just give me a clear-cut thing to say, I'm, to show me that how I'm better than other people, let me just do that. I grew up with this in my life. I'll be honest with you, my parents are incredible and I love them to death, but I remember thinking, this is something that, that was instilled upon me, is that, well, good enough is not good enough, right? It was this idea that my parents used to say this. They said, if all the other kids get 95s, you need to get 99s, right? And it's this idea that show me how to be worthwhile. Show me how to, be, show, to develop a sense of worth and accomplishment, and I'll, let me just get it done. I'll do it, and I'll accomplish it. I can do it on my own. That's tempting, because honestly, in our lives, we're looking for worth, aren't we? We're looking for ways to say, look at me, I'm something. We're looking for ways to feel good about ourselves because that's just the human condition. Right? We want to be known, we want to be loved, we want to have purpose. And so we have this way of being like, I just, I just give me something that finds a way to work. So give me a rules, give me a list of regulations and say, look at me, I'm good. Or look at them, they're bad. So at least I'm good compared to them. Right? And it's this sin of pride that entangles us. It's this sin of pride that easily entangles us because, guys, I want you to understand this, that it creates a burden that our lives are not meant to have. Because when we create this burden upon ourselves to live a certain manner, when we create this, not just to live a certain manner, but when we create this burden of pride that says we have to earn something, then we're not living in the freedom of grace. The desire for, the other sin that easily entangles us is his desire for comfort and for security. What was the sin that the Israelite people were facing in this time was that this idea, the Jews were at this time were facing this idea of being oppressed and suffering and saying, whoa, 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 whoa. I was kind of hoping coming to church and being a Christian was going to make life really easy for me. Is that not the way it works? Why is this getting difficult? Why is it getting hard? And guys, can I tell you some of that, isn't that kind of sometimes the message we hear in, in our culture nowadays, right? I've heard people say, oh, you're having problems, you're struggling, you just need to come to Jesus. Can I just be honest with you guys? If you're financially in debt before Jesus, you'll probably be in financial debt after Jesus. I'm just going to be honest. I'm just going to be real. Can I just tell you that? Can I tell you that if you think coming to a relationship with Jesus means that your life is going to be perfect and awesome from here on out, then I'm sorry, this is, that's not the message I have for you today. I can tell you this, 
when you come into a relationship with Jesus, what you have is freedom. What you have is now knowing that you're known, that you're loved, and you have incredible purpose. But with all of that, with purpose comes suffering, comes difficulties, but it's worth it. Do you hear that? You see, the, the sins that hinder our running is the sins of pride and of flesh, longing for comfort. It's like having two masters, or it's like wearing a suit to play basketball. This is what the sin of our flesh does. It entangles us rather than helping us run the way we were supposed to run. Have you guys, so I hate wearing suits, just to be completely honest and real. One, they're hot. I always get a little annoyed. I'm just gonna, this is my little side note here. I always get annoyed when like, you have to dress up for nice occasions, but men have to wear more clothing and women wear less, but women are always colder than men. <laughs> right? That doesn't make any sense. So you go to a hot wedding, go to a wedding, and women have like their shoulders, like they look more, they're cooler, like temperature-wise, and they're like, oh, put on a vest and a jacket. What? <laughs> I'm just saying. A suit entangles it. I can't like shoot a jump shot well with a suit on. I can't run with dress shoes on. My feet will hurt, I can't move as well, you're entangled, you're encumbered, and this idea of, of you're not dressed for the occasion, what sin does is what it does is it puts on extra rules and regulations, it puts on extra bondage, extra entanglements. it puts on extra weight on you as you're trying to run. Because it's sin of pride, what's that do? It makes you wanna earn your salvation, it makes you wanna earn something that was freely given as a gift. The sin of desiring just, just comfort and, and, and um, the sins of the flesh, what it does is it gives you two masters. And if you're going in two different directions, that in, in, like, it trips you up. You don't know where you're going. How do we throw off these sins? That leads to my third point, is you throw them off by looking to Jesus. And that's the third point. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Now, this term, looking at Jesus here, is actually a negative word in Greek. It is more translated, looking away towards Jesus. It's a choosing not to look at your sin, not to look at the world, not to look at your suffering, but instead looking away to Jesus. It's an action step, a willful decision to choose where to and to whom to look. I was just talking a second ago to Erica, and Erica was telling me how she loves this passage of Scripture because she's a runner. So once again, I can't relate, but as a runner, one of the ideas is that you're, you're looking to the finish line. You're looking to the goal, you're looking to the distance, you're looking to a mark on the horizon like, I just gotta get there. Okay, and then you just gotta get there. And it's this idea is looking away from, instead of looking at how tired you are, instead of looking at how steep the hill is, you look at that's the finish line, that's the goal. Looking away to Jesus. But this phrase is also so incredible in so many other ways. And I got this from a sermon by Tim Keller, and this is one of the coolest points. I, just, I don't want you to miss this, because Tim Keller does this, covers this so well. But there's also so many other translations for this phrase. You can say, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. You can say, the author and finisher of our faith. There's all these translations for this, this sentence because it's actually a very deep and difficult word to kind of get the nuanced meaning of. And then when you spend some time, when you, when you look at it, it's, it's really incredible. The New Living Translation is the only one that I saw out of the translations that has this word. It says the champion, 
the champion of our faith. The, the key word in the Greek is archigos. Yeah, sorry. This is translated typically as founder, leader, prince. But Tim Keller and a New Living Translation believes the best translation of this word is look away to Jesus, our champion, the founder and perfecter of our faith. But it's a particular kind of champion. You can think of it as the words arch ego. Look to Jesus, your arch ego. So this idea, I want you to get this, this is really cool. In old Greek and Roman myths, a champion was a very specific person. He was your arch ego. He was the man of great power who would stand in and fight for you. Think of David and Goliath, right? A person would stand forth as a champion in, in, often in two kinds of ways. First way is imagine there's like a great villain, an evil person, some group of warriors, and they're holding all the people hostage. And these people are powerless before this villain. So, so a champion would stand forth, and this champion could be their champion in two different ways in the old myths, in this idea. One is this champion could be the one that comes in and takes the arrows, takes the, the sword, takes, distracts everybody, fights the villain while the hostages can run away. He's kind of the stand-in, the one who takes the punishment, takes, distracts the enemy so that everybody else can go away. In other words, he would be the substitute. He would stand in their place, and all the fury of the armies would be on him. The other way the champion would stand forth is that the champion would challenge the other person to mortal combat, which is just awesome. In that sense, the champion would be in the place of hostages. He'd say, I'm standing in the place of these group of hostages. I'm standing in the place of this army, David, who came in to fight against the giant Goliath. If he lost, they lost. But if he triumphed over the villain or the enemy, they triumphed. And so here's this idea, two ideas of champion that was famous and that was often that this Greek word was used to describe. So if you're weak, if you're a hostage, if you're entrapped, you still get to triumph because your champion wins. He's your champion. He stands in for you. You're victorious, not yourself, but in your champion. Get this. This is exactly what the Bible says Jesus does to you. He is both ways your champion. He's your champion because on the cross, he stood in and he took the punishment that we all deserved. All of the wrath, all of the poison, all of the anger, all of the punishment, all of the death, all of the hell that should have fallen on our hearts, fallen on us as sinners. It went into Jesus. There's none left for us. It all went into Jesus. He's our substitute. He's our champion that if we are united to him by faith, we are free from the guilt of sin as if we ourselves suffered it. Not only that, I want you to get this, he also came and he lived the perfect life. In other words, he stood forth against the enemy of this life and the sins of the flesh, against the enemy of this world, against the devil. He did everything that we were supposed to do. He loved God with all his heart, mind, and soul. He loved his neighbor as himself. He lived the life, he fought the battle that we couldn't fight in our stead. He was our champion in both ways. We can't face the pressures of this world, the, 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 the devil and the flesh, because they always defeat us, because they're stronger than us. But when we believe in Jesus, get this, his righteousness becomes ours. 
When we look at Jesus, God, when, we look, when God looks at us, he doesn't see our sin and our issues. He sees Jesus' perfect righteousness, which was given to us as a Christian. All the love, all the honor that the champion deserved by winning the fight, by winning the battle is now ours. As if we did it ourselves. He's our champion, and we're perfect with him. There's no condemnation for us. And this is, I love this, this is what Tim Keller says here. Here's why Jesus Christ relates to Christians in an utterly different way than Muhammad relates to a Muslim, or Buddha relates to a Buddhist, or Confucius to Confucianist, or Krishna to a Hindu. All these other founders of religions, great as they are, are only the authors of the faith. They author. They start you out. They say, this is the way to get to God, do these things. This is the way to go, do these things. But you have to finish it. They put you on a, a sort of probation. They say, we can get you started, but you finish it. Jesus Christ does not just say that. He says, here's how you get to God, and then he accomplishes it. He finishes it. He's your author and finisher. Do you get that? He doesn't put you on probation. He's done it all for you. He's done the probation for you. If you believe in him, you're no longer, there's no longer any condemnation for you. He's done it. He's created the way, created the means. He's accomplished the work. He took all the, the, the fiery darts of the enemy. He accomplished the righteousness. He defeated the enemy, defeated them in battle. And now our righteousness, our standing before God is forever secured in him. There is no condemnation left for us. So we look to him, our champion, who takes our sin and wins the battle. And once we do that, once we look to him and see him in such a light, once we look to him and see him as our champion, once we do that, then we can see the suffering we face in the world the correct way. We can understand that suffering and hardships, difficulties, are all just discipline from a good and loving father. I, um, growing up, I loved playing basketball. That was my number one sport. I loved basketball as a kid. And so I had all these basketball coaches. When you're young as a kid, you have basketball coaches that are just kind of like, just happy that you actually kind of run in the right direction, or that you kind of listen. And as you get older, they're like, okay, can you shoot a free throw? Then you go from like the lower goal to like the 10-foot goal, you know? Then it's like, and I remember just moving up basketball leagues, whatever it's called. But I remember finally getting up to this one league. I don't remember how old I was. But we went from having like, just kind of like babysitting to like, no, this is a real deal coach and I hated it. I mean, I really hated it at first. I still remember his name, Coach Tice. Man, he was mean. He would make us run nonstop. Like he said, you gotta go get water? You better run to the water fountain. I was like, why, I'm getting water. He would make us run, like, state, after practice, after doing suicides and scrimmages and running the whole time, he'd then say, okay, you guys are done practice. All right, go outside, we're going to the bleachers. And we're running bleachers. I'd be like, why would we run bleachers? so tiring. It's dangerous. We will fall. But we just, we, we did all this stuff and he would just constantly make us run. And I remember thinking, this is miserable. This is terrible. I'm so tired. I hate this. And then I remember playing our first game and we would press. And we were only allowed to press full court the last like half of each quarter. That was the rule. But the second we turned the press on, we were running so fast. The other team was gassed. They were tired. And we would run the whole game. Our team would I kid you not, this is back then, they had, to, they, they had to actually make us stop scoring. They actually said, once we take the ball, we have to give it back to them. Because our score would be so high, it just wasn't fair. They didn't want the score to be that high. And he was the first coach that, like, I think all the other coaches were like, what is happening? 
But he just made us run and worked us and trained us so hard. And we hated it at first, but man, we were in shape and we were able to play some basketball. Do you see your suffering in such a way? Do you see the difficulties you face in such a way? Do you see them as a means of creating righteousness, of developing your character? Because can I tell you something? Let me just be honest and real with you. For those of you who are suffering, can I tell you something? If we don't see it in this manner, then it seems pointless, doesn't it? But let me tell you something. Your suffering is not pointless in Christ. It's not. It's not pointless. It has a purpose. It's working out in you a peculiar glory. It's shaping your character. It's working towards righteousness. It's not pointless. We have to look at Jesus in the midst of our suffering. Here's why you have to. And this is some more. I look, my, my third point really just comes from Tim Keller's because he just said it so well. And he says it's inevitable. All of us, to some degree or another, we've all experienced suffering. I'm honestly, whether it's small or large, it's just inevitable. And honestly, the question, and I bet you so many of us, and so many of you are asking this question, do I deserve this? Is it fair? What did I do to deserve this? And if at some level you're doing this, it's going on, it will go on, unless you believe in Jesus as your author and finisher, there are only kind of two ways of answering this question. You'll either have to say, I do deserve it, and then you'll be crushed. You'll be broken in despair, and you say, oh, gosh, I do deserve this. I'm depressed. Or you can say, I don't deserve this. I don't deserve this suffering, and then you'll be bitter and cynical, because why in the world do I get something I don't deserve? Right? Do you see that? You'll either become hard, bitter, and cynical, or you become defeated, depressed, and crushed. Or kind of your only options with, apart from Jesus as your author and finisher. In verse 5, it says this, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves. Do you see that? This idea that if you don't see Jesus as the author, you either make light of it, and you can say, this is unfair, this is ridiculous, I'm not going to let it get to me, and you become hard and cynical, or you say, I'm a mess, I'm wrong, I, don't deserve, I deserve all this, look at all the terrible things happening to me, I deserve it, and you become crushed. But a Christian can say, on the one hand, and hear this, on the one hand, I do deserve this suffering, but this cannot be punishment. I deserve this suffering, but this isn't punishment because Jesus Christ was my champion. He stood in my place, and as a result, every bit of punishment that I deserve has already been given and placed upon Jesus. So there is no... There's no punishment for me. It's not punishing. And the reason there's suffering in this life is because there's suffering in this world. Because the world we live in is a broken world that has fallen. But God said he's going to deal with that someday. He's going to restore creation and make all things right. Meanwhile, he's going to bring good out of what's happening. Meanwhile, he's going to bring good out of this. I know it. it's not punishment. It's a lesson. It's, not, it's something that all humans endure. He's going to be with me through it, and it's not punishment. He's going to use it to shape me. On the one hand, I don't deserve it, and it's not punishment. On the other hand, I do deserve it. It is punishment. But a Christian says, I do deserve it, but it's not punishment. Do you see that? That's the only way to look at it for suffering not to destroy you or to harden you or make you cynical. You look away to Jesus. He has taken it all for you. This is not punishment. God never takes two payments for this, the same debt. Do you see that? 
He's not going to charge you twice. He's not going to overcharge you. The punishment, the charge that was meant for you was given and paid for by Jesus. So it's not punishment for you. Hear that very well. Those of you who are struggling with not understanding why you're not healed yet. Those of you who are struggling with loss, those of you who've been praying for something that hasn't happened yet, can you hear me very well when I say this? It is not punishment. Christ took all the punishment there was for you. But let me tell you this. It's only when we have faith in who Jesus is and the work we did, when we look at him as the author and finisher, the author and perfecter, the champion who has accomplished and conquered, can we understand then that, yes, even the hard things of life he uses for his glory and our good. Do you see that? Do you believe that? Because can I tell you, as I'm running a race, when something hard happens, if, if I trip over a root and I fall, if I sprain my ankle, man, the last thing I would ever want to do is keep on running, Right? And that's what happens in life when difficult things happen and when you suffer and when you struggle and when hardships occur and when you're in pain and when you lose somebody you love. You don't want to run. You just, God, I, I don't feel like doing that anymore. It's hard. But then you look at Jesus, your hope, your champion, And you say, yes, you give meaning to even my suffering. Because if I didn't have that, if I didn't have you, then I don't know what I would do with my suffering. I don't know what I would do with my pain. But because you, Jesus, you promise to make all things new. Because you, Jesus, I can know that it's not punishment. Because of the work you did, Jesus, yes, I know it's not meaningless. Yes, Jesus, because of you, I can run this race. Do you hear that? He doesn't just author, he perfects. He doesn't just start, he finishes. He's the anchor of the relay team. Do you get that? It's like having a relay track team and you have Usain Bolt coming after you. You're like, we're good. (laughs) We're kind of going to win this. You know what I'm saying? it's It's like you're in that race and you know Usain Bolt's up, I could just all right, I got this. We're going to win. That's what happens. Jesus is the relay race. He started. He got you the lead. We're going. He's also going to finish it. He's going to take home the anchor leg, and it's going to be done. Can I tell you this, guys? Hear this very well. Let me tell you, all the pain, all the suffering, that one day, God's going to make all things new. That he's going to advance his kingdom, that he's going to be uh, restored on this earth, that you saw the miracles of Jesus, you saw what he's promising. He's promising a restoration of creation the way it was meant to be. He's promising a new day where there will be no more weeping, where the lion will lie down next to the lamb. Hear this. With a sword will be beaten down to a plowshare. Guys, I want you to understand this picture. The picture of peace and rest. Guys, isn't that what we want? Rest. Right? That's our promise. We hold on to that promise. The race we run because we have the anchor finishing for us. He finishes it. His kingdom will come. It's not a matter of if. It's, it will come. It's not a matter of will this race be won? Will this relay race be won? No, no, no. It, it is won. Jesus accomplishes. He finishes. 
That is our future. That is our hope. That's our reality. So run, people. Run. Know that you're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses living in community together. They're cheering you on and we're encouraging one another. Throw off the sin that entangles us, this pride and the desire for comfort of the sins of the flesh. Throw it off by looking to Jesus, the author, perfecter, the champion, the finisher, the one who took all of our sin, took the wages of sin, but who also conquered life and death. And who's going to run the anchor leg and finish it for us? Don't stop. Run with perseverance. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, God, we thank you for the work of Jesus. God, that Jesus was our champion. God, that he stands in our place, that he took every bit of punishment. God, there is no punishment left for us, that it all fell on Jesus. We thank you for that. God, we also thank you that he conquered life, that he lived life perfectly, the perfect life of love, that he conquered sin, he conquered death, that he loved you and loved people. So God, our righteousness that we have is not from our own merit, but it it comes straight from the work of Jesus. So when you look at us, you see the work of Jesus. So God, help us to run. Help us to be, see the cloud of witnesses. Help us to throw off the sin that entangles. Help us to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Help us to run with perseverance and know that suffering, know that difficulties is the work of a loving Father so that we can grow closer to you. God, that we can live a life of righteousness. And God, so we can see your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.